lock yourself in. Some of you will know that before I started scratching formulae on the cells of the walls of the cage, I used to live in Byron, that easternmost whale-watching, tree-hugging community of rich hippies and poor locals, along with frenzied developers trying to rid Australia of its only regional Green government. The New South Wales government prevented that Green government from implementing an affordable housing strategy last week that had been approved by the people of the local area so that those frenzied developers and their commercial operating mates could continue to maximise profits while the daughters and granddaughters of the displaced dairy farmers pay $400 a week to live in a garage or a caravan where they have to share the toilet. This is not just another example of state governments acting in the interests of profiteers. It's a case study in the dynamics of community. We talk a lot here in the cage or on the cages uh, radio host, Eco Radio, about building community, about the resilience of diversity and the importance of grassroots in weaving the community that provides that resilience. There's another force at work though, and that is the greedy individual cutting through the fibre to protect their pile, to prevent others from benefiting from the commons. I've paid a million and a half dollars for my property and I have to park on the street. How is it right that you people who own nothing have the privilege of off-street parking? Those are the actual words used by a neighbour of mine at Riviera in Highgate Hill, West End, who opposed an early community garden we're growing forward, now farms. His protests resulted in the Department of Mines and Energy declaring the land as off-limits. As a fire trail, with a fine of $1,500 for stepping foot on the land, they cut down trees, a hill's hoist and fences as well. The backstory involves a bridge about to be built when the Second World War broke out and the bridge parts were sent to Salisbury to be turned into munitions. A forest sprung up on the site that was uh, host to a band of backpackers, grey nomads and other travellers supported by the Riviera tenants until a greedy law lawyer came along who chopped down the forest and bulldozed a second community garden that appeared on the fire trail despite the trespassing signs. The garden was inspired by the wonderful Paradise Park food forest, maintained by the determined Meg, pictured here with the uh, revitalised community cob oven on that site with other neighbours from that hidden corner of the world. The privileged entitlement of Mr Million and a Half, who had to park on the street, put an end to the project until the grassroots efforts of the Greens built a groundswell of young activists agile enough to sidestep the bleating of a handful of landholders. Similar battles continue though. Neighbours complaining about verge gardens as unsightly, neighbours bringing legal proceedings and council complaints against other community efforts in an opposition to prevent people from helping themselves by developing the common. The theft of the common is not new though. The enclosures across Britain started in the 1400s, driving people off their land into the cities where they worked as factory fodder, weaving the textiles that were grown on the enclosed land that had once been theirs. We hang the man and flog the woman who steal the goose from off the common. We let the common criminal loose 
who steals the commons from the goose. An old poem attributed to William Hutton in 1798, but dating from much earlier in the 15th century. The privileged few need to be careful though. There are protections under common law that used properly protect the rights of the people. These cameras belong to Dr O of the Central Coast, who came significantly unstuck in trying to prevent his neighbours, the Burlach family, from using the easement besides his property for anything other than driving to their house. He had to remove 17 CCTV cameras, a significant number of rocks, fluorescent webbing and other infrastructure he had placed on the easement to stop them from using the common land. He also had to stop harassing them when they conducted maintenance or played on the easement and he had to pay all of their court costs. Sometimes the law does what it's supposed to do. Recent wins in the courts on behalf of the environment include the protection of the bimble box from Clive Palmer's Galilee Basin coal mine and Victoria's Supreme Court finding that Vic Forests are guilty of illegal logging. Sometimes it's two steps forward and some more steps back though. The Australian Conservation Foundation is battling Woodside in the federal court to overturn environmental approvals granted by the West Australian government that allow the petroleum company to dredge and build concrete infrastructure beside its huge Scarborough project on the environmentally sensitive North West Shelf. Adani still has to go ahead to destroy Wangan and Jagalingu land and culture and has not backed off its harassment of Brisbane dad, Ben Pennings. In March, the full federal court overturned an earlier decision making the Minister for the Environment responsible for the impact of her decisions on climate and future generations. Our celebrations for that significant victory were a little premature. Now, El Brutus the Screw approaches to put me away again. So I just want to quickly say thank heavens for the Environmental Defenders Office, Wilderness Foundation, all the other fighters harnessing the law in the interests of the people it was designed to protect. And while you're having a little legal turn of mind, have a look at Barry Jones' recent article about the Australian Constitution, a hair-raising reminder of the power of the British Crown to interfere in our lives at their whim. Harry and Megan had nothing to complain about.